0: is a journey into sound. Brought to you in living color on WGDI. Today, my guest is Regina Louise. She's a public speaker, coach, and author. Her best-selling memoirs, Somebody, Someone, and Somebody Has Led This Child to Believe, were made into the award-winning movie, I Am Somebody's Child, the Regina Louise story. She's received numerous awards for her work with children, family and foster care advocacy. Regina is also a Hoffman Process teacher and facilitator, and her new book is Permission Granted, Kick-Ass Strategies to Bootstrap Your Way to Unconditional Self-Love. Your story is very moving and inspiring, and I love the movie about you, I'm Somebody's Child, the Regina Louise story. And I love the work that you do and Aww. your orientation and advocacy mm. for mm. children, and especially children who have had a really rough time. And I certainly had a rough time. Although, mm. you know, being a, a straight white cis male, I have several layers of obstacles that I didn't have to deal with. And mm. as a result, I did the Hoffman process myself <gasps> back back no when. Way. It, Yeah, back when it was a 13 week intensive process.
1: Oh my God. So you did the Fisher Hoffman process. Yes. Oh my God. What a small world.
0: Yeah. And get this. Last week, I interviewed a former Fisher Hoffman process teacher and facilitator. That is wild. So it's really interesting how everything I've been doing for the last few years have come in pairs. Like interviews, Mm. they come Mm -hmm. in pairs. And this started happening after I did an interview with the author of a book titled The Science of Synchronicity. Mm. I love
1: it. I love it. And so I am at this point in my life where, like, I dream in equality. I say that on every interview. And I dream in ways that are so big. But they're not necessarily so big for me, but for other people, they seem, you know, exponentially large. And it's just amazing. I try and listen to what my spirit tells me to do. And my spirit says, okay, prepare yourself. So each single thing that I have done, writing somebody, someone, writing someone has let this child believe, writing this new book permission granted. Spirit's fingerprints are all over that. And Spirit has encouraged me to do it. So I follow every single thing. And then I recognize that's as far as I seem to be able to take it is to listen and to be and allow the information to download and be the scriber, if you will. And so now I am excited as I wait in anticipation, not inactively, but actively, moving this particular book into the world. It's a new genre that I taught myself as I was writing it. So I have never written a personal growth book, although the book, I believe, clearly, was in my body was in my cells, was in my bones, my muscles, my experiences. So I had no format. I created the format or spirit created the format and I just listened. So I agree with you about synchronicity and you say it comes in twos and I'm going to say it comes in threes because this is my third offering. And having that opportunity to scale it up, to be a thought leader, to Make an impact is a dream. So anyway, I went off on a tangent, but you said synchronicity, and I'm saying, I hear you, bruh. <laughs> and, and,
0: Feel free to go off on any tangent you're inspired uh,
1: to. Yes, so, you know, I'm ready to have those conversations with people such as yourself, people who this offering resonates with, and just the languaging, that you use is indicative to me that I listened and this is the right place for me to be. I mean, it's amazing, Tonio. I have been on more podcasts than movie, book combined, right? All my first two books, and and I've done a lot. I've managed to give my my works my offerings legs because when i create an offering i hit the ground and i become the epitome of a gorilla marketer and you know this one in this new genre of personal growth meeting people at their growth edge and i i, I am so excited i, I just don't really have words for it because I'm so excited. But also, as I was saying, this particular offering has resonated with so many people. And I've been so blessed. I mean, blessed, blessed, blessed. I have friends who have been so generous, who are Instagram influencers. And as a result of the work we've done together, much of which is found in this book, I have had, this work has had the blessing of the equivalent of close to 10 million Instagram followers having exposure to this offering. That to me has spirits, fingerprints all over it. Because when you say synchronicity, what I say is spirit So.
0: Yeah. To me, they are one and the same. Mm -hmm. They're just different terms for the same activity in this universe.
1: Absolutely. I love how you say that activity in this universe. Yes. So I'm very grateful. And I'm looking forward to stepping ever more into my excellence, my power, my Everything. I'm just looking forward to stepping ever more. And this offering is that it's for the people who, you know, I I always followed Oprah's recommendation for her favorite things. And they're beautiful and they're amazing, but half of America can't afford those favorite things. And I am of this ilk of what if what if it doesn't matter if we have those favorite things that are externalized experiences that someone else has had and they love what if instead i become my quote unquote favorite thing what if we what if we turn our attention from The commercialized aspect of externalized items, many of which end up in our garages or, you know, donate it to the next and then the next and the next. But instead, we listen to one another. We lend a helping hand to another. We become our favorite thing. Our capacity to love and to connect and to be generous becomes our favorite thing. What if we played an opportunity for somebody else forward as our favorite thing? So that's what my current offering is about, is reaching in and closing the gap on my own disadvantage so reaching into my experiences reaching into my innocence reaching into my own heart and putting skin in the game to close the gap on this perceived so-called disadvantage that it is to be me and it's a, it's a powerful journey it's a powerful journey to not necessarily having a gigantic movement, the first word that came to me was reject, but that's that's a very powerful word, but dismantle, dismantle the perspective of someone else that I'm not worthy when in fact there's not a human being alive that has the power to convince me and to validate An untruth that I'm not worthy. Like that's an oxymoron, the fact that I exist. The fact that you and I are sitting right here is evidence of my worth, right? It doesn't matter if I didn't come from a family. It doesn't matter if I did not inherit wealth or status or opportunities. That's just icing on the cake. But to be right here now, Tony L, and revel in the capacity to construct a sentence, meaningful communication that binds you and I together, neutralizes differences that give way to indifference. That, to me, is worth
0: an action.
1: So thank you for letting me riff.
0: (laughs) Mm. Well, you're speaking my language with all of that, because for me, it's I love that orientation to the deepest most essential feeling that underlies whatever desire is fulfilled by any exterior things that we might think we really want. And you know, when we're growing up, most of us get a lot of those stories that we're not really worthy. So maybe we could begin by talking about how you move through all of those layers of stories of disadvantage, of disconnection and loss and grief to come to this place where you know who you are and nothing and nobody can tell you otherwise? Mm.
1: That's a big question, Tonio. But I will do my best to chip away at it So that we can get to something that feels and sounds true and worthy of that beautiful perfect question one of the things that is coming through right now is i was always that young girl who when all the other children were instructed to come into the house the moment the street lights came on. I was always that child trying to convince people to stay a little longer, trying to, you know, conjure time on my terms and create a little bit of this and a little bit of that that would distract the young people I was playing with so that they would stay just a little bit longer. Because I knew that once they went inside. I would be the only one outside because nothing was really asked of me. Nothing was really required of me except to maybe be seen and not heard. Right? And then that be seen was paltry at best. So I guess I could say by the time. I was standing outside after the street lights came on, oftentimes walking past people's homes and staring into the plate glass windows of life beyond the street lights. I had nothing to lose because I'd already lost it. And so loss became my tutor. Loss became my mother and my father, my sisters, my brothers, my you know, extended kin. And she had many lessons to teach me. And so I began my sojourn into the world, into her world, from being beaten, given away, shuffled between this stranger, that stranger, loss did all of my negotiating and by the time i could make decisions for myself i understood loss i understood the multiple levels of loss i understood let me just say the depth of loss and everything she had to teach me so i lost things i lost people. I lost time, opportunities. I lost years of happiness, moored in grief. I lost connection. And so in all of those iterations of existence, I learned how to be with it. There was nowhere to go. Given the degree of loss that I was moored in, there was was nowhere to go, but in it, I was a child. There was only so many things I could do to, you know, put skin in the game, close the gap on my own disadvantage. And so for me, I began to, I, I learned very early to be with it, to learn to be with it. And, you know, there's a lot of direction in terms of cognitive therapies where, you know, people who are suffering are encouraged to change their mindset, change their thoughts, and changing their mindset and thoughts can shift how the body responds and how the emotional self responds to the reality. But I learned intuitively to actually stay with it. It's like, Alice Walker says in her book, the only way through it is with a broken heart, which of course I wouldn't find decades later. But that's the truth, is to move alongside and through the broken heart, as opposed to sidestepping and running from it, because everywhere you go, there you are. Thank you, Jean kabat Zen. So I've learned to befriend terrors, on their own terms, on their own grounds. I've learned to be with loss on her own terms, on her own grounds. And in so doing, it has all of these things. We could talk all day about the experiences, the feelings and the emotional states that I've learned to inhabit. And stay with and learn from. These things were my tutors. Sometimes I feel like Mowgli in the Jungle Book and, and how, you know, this little boy learned from his natural habitat to be in the world. Well, for me, my natural habitat was loss, rejection, disenfranchisement, all of those oppressive for many ways of being, I've learned to navigate through them and to know that on the other side of them, I sure there's a certain type of death that happens, the death of expectation, the death of so many things, but still like the Christian resurrection suggests, after death, there's also the possible of resurrection and In layman's terms, I believe that resurrection is akin to resilience, right? Because that's what happened with the Christ. He rose with seemingly being unscathed, and regardless of the 12 stations, regardless of the amount of nails in his hands and feet and the crown upon his head, he was able to come back from that unscathed. And so, when I think about resilience and I think about the resurrection, they are akin to one another. And that would be the gift of loss. The gift of loss is loss and learning to be with it and learning to thrive despite of it. I think that's the, the money shot, to thrive <laughs> in circumstances regardless of what is presented. And that too is the working definition in my book of triumph of the spirit. I mean, whether it be Victor or Eli Wiesel, they, they say similar things that I'm saying, or Nelson Mandela and I were in solitary confinement during the same time. I was in and out of it as a young girl. He was, I imagine, in it mostly as a young man And the truth of the matter is how to thrive, how to not resist what that is, but to be in it and to drop down and learn the emotional signature of loss, the emotional signature of being held against one's will. And so to allow the spirit to triumph is to believe in the power of spirit the power of one's spirit to know, oh, I'm good enough to know I can adapt. I deserve to adapt. Oh, so I'm in solitary confinement. Okay, there are no windows. There are no doors. I cannot get out of here unless it's due to someone's good grace. It's due to them deciding when, how I get out and what that looks like. So it's dropping down and into the moment of what is and being with it. So I believe that's the best way to answer the question you
0: posited. That was beautiful. And it reflects what I've been learning about nature itself, that nature, the way nature works is through the cycles of death and rebirth. And it's also, in our nature to go through those cycles as well, even though in our culture, we are brought up on this diet of a linear progression through life, always moving forward, always moving upward, and never going down, never never accepting or facing the things that, that are in our face, living in denial of the essential nature of life itself. And, what I hear in your story is, well, it sounded like you didn't really have a choice, or we all have a choice, but you were facing, you faced loss and a kind of death in a very direct and honest way. You didn't run from it. And by not running from it, you allowed that magical portal to open up from which you could actually learn and gain some real genuine wisdom from it no matter how long it takes i mean for all of us i think it takes a lifetime overall but it can take many years to really integrate and embody the kind of wisdom that we learn from from all the the disasters and catastrophes that that we live through so that they actually end up becoming incredible blessings in our lives and not only in our own lives but what we can then share and radiate with everybody around us or at least to those who can use that yes
1: yes yes to everything
0: you just said and the title of your new book is permission granted and that's like it's like a a magical formula, kind of like a spell Mm. that we can cast upon ourselves. Go ahead on, (laughs) Tonyo.
1: Now you're talking my language. You sure you're not in Berkeley and not in, you know, Vermont? Because that's the kind of woo-woo I love. Keep going, bruh.
0: (laughs) So this permission granted, it's this magical incantation to do the things that you lived out from your early childhood and are continuing to live out. And and now you've written this book, which is is sort of like writing down the science of, of how to do that or, yeah, how to manifest it and to share it with others. You better go,
1: Tonio. You got me up here feeling myself. So let me tell you, when people call it goosebumps, but I call it when spirit recognizes itself and it un- it sees and hears the truth, then the hairs on my skin stand in it's like a standing ovation so instead of it being goosebumps it's a spiritual standing ovation so you've got me over here, hairs on end spiritual standing oh, yes, yes, and yes you know I have attended a myriad of workshops. I've spent tens of thousands of dollars understanding or seeking to understand this thing called me in order to share with other people to hopefully better understand this thing called you. And oftentimes I was the only woman of color in whether it be with Carolyn Meese, uh, you know, Marianne Williamson, Wayne Dyer, I could go on and on and on. And always I wanted, I, I found myself in these places because, see, that's it. Spirit doesn't discern between black, white, female, male, non-binary, on and on and on. But spirit, in my opinion doesn't see all of those classifications. It just recognizes itself, unencumbered, unclassified, right? And so I received a lot from, I recognized and found my spiritual essence in all of those workshops. But what I've never found is a workshop where it was so diverse, maybe the closest I've ever come to, I wouldn't say it was a workshop, The closest I've come to a community that was as diversified as I would have liked would have been Agape with the Reverend Michael Beckwith. And that was a place where it felt more authentic to spirit because so many people of so many, so many, so many everythings showed up and showed out in that space. But what I've wanted to do is to write something as you say an incantation an invitation that would lead people to the threshold like this I want this to be a shiro hero's journey to the truth of being free from the patterns the chains the toxic ways of being that bind us and to get once more back to the truth of who we are And that is spiritual beings having a human experience. And so when you say what you say, the way that you say what you say about my offering, I'm humbled and I feel as though I, as the millennials and the Generation Zers say, I got the assignment you know, I got this assignment right. And so that's what this was and is. It's an assignment. Like, I don't say to anybody, I'm giving you permission. I am clear to step away from that. I would never be so self-aggrandizing as to say, I give you permission because I don't have the power to do that. But as you know, my evocation with this offering is to give yourself permission. And I even say it in BYOP, bring your own permission. You know how to BYOB, you know how to bring your own bag, bring your own bottle, your beer, your booty. Now what I'm gonna ask for you to do is bring your own pretty, bring your own power, bring your own possibility, bring your own permission. It's an invitation. That's what it is at every juncture. It's an invitation. And, and I want to give an example of what I mean by bring your own permission. I had an experience with a colleague where we bumped into one another. And this particular colleague had more situational power. He had the opportunity to actually exercise situational power. We had equal power. Do not misunderstand me. Our power was equal, period, in the sense that we had a right to exercise it. But because his positional power in a hierarchy made his power just that much more above me, let's say, which I cannot think that way. And I do not, which is probably why I don't do well in organizations, never have. Unless, of course, it's mine. Anyway, he spoke to me in a way and in my experience, he treated me in a way that did not work at all for me. It literally hurt my feelings. And he literally fell off that pedestal that I recognized I had placed him on. And thank God this experience happened and he fell off. And I could see that, you know, he was human as I am. So, you know, we had to work through that and it was difficult. And even though we worked through it, we had a repair. There was something in me that still didn't come back. I, I was not as resilient with that as I had. Hope to be, but I didn't put pressure on myself, I let it be. Two, three weeks later, we had an opportunity to work with one another again. This time, something came up. He said something to me that just didn't, it came in sideways. And so instead of doing what I did the first time, and instead of doing that limbic response, you know, that that intellectual, I'm coming for your juggler vein response. I slowed everything down and I allowed that vagal nerve, you know, that wandering nerve to calm down and let all the hormones that show up in flight or fight to regulate. And once I was regulated, it took me probably... Two hours, give or take, to get back to my baseline. I finally said, Hey, can I have a moment with you? He's, Yeah. And all I said was, What was your intention in saying what you said? And I got to tell you, Tonio, that right there gave that other human being the opportunity to become self reflexive have that ability to really engage with themselves in a way that needed to happen, okay? He needed to find out what was he believing, what was he holding about himself, what was happening that had him do what he did. Respond the way he did unnecessarily, out of nowhere, totally changing the tone of everything. So that would be the second repair he and I had. Clearly, I'm a big teacher for him, and he is definitely a big teacher for me. And something that he said, which I thought was brilliant, he said, I said what I said because I know that people say what I said to you about me. And he realized, oh, it was really all about me. And I think he believed what people said about him and he felt alone in that. And then he wanted to induct me. He wanted to sort of haze me, to jump me into that place where he saw me the way he saw himself, which was too big, which was overwhelming. You know, so what I've come to learn about being too big or too overwhelming, you know, a lot of what we've been talking about is, I had to learn to privilege my bigness, privilege the essence of who I am, the truth of who I am in a way that I did not know before. And that is this, the depth, my want still to this day to be loved, to be claimed, to be seen. It is as deep as the earth beneath us. It is deep. I did not get What I needed, forget what I wanted. I did not get my basic attachment needs met, my basic atonement needs met, none of it. And by grace and grit, I've been able to live this life on my own terms. And at the same time, because my needs are big and they were never met, because my relationship to aloneness is, again, as deep as the earth beneath us and as wide. So my needs not being met and my relationship to aloneness is and feels as wide, it feels boundaryless, And the result of that is the work that I've chosen to do. One, to meet my needs. Two, to be with my aloneness. That is... The signature, that being with that and recognize that is what writes the check, if you will, and gives me permission to be all of who I am and to understand better this thing called my one life. So, yes, I'm a big personality. Yes, on and on and on. But my bigness is tantamount to my willingness to accept the truth that I am one with everything and I am one with nothing simultaneously. And the work I've done, the amount of money, resources, time, effort, energy that I've put into being here now on my own terms, that's a whole other podcast
0: subject. Mm-mm. I totally relate to just about all of that. Back to the title of the book, Permission Granted, Kick-Ass Strategies to Bootstrap Your Way to Unconditional Self-Love. So to me, this permission granted, at its deepest level, at its most essential core, it is really about getting to that place of learning how to give oneself the unconditional love, self-love, that pretty much all of us inevitably did not receive from the world around us. Right. Right. and, And to count on that, and to believe that we're gonna find it outside, from the outside, even from the people who love us most intimately and most dearly, they're also struggling with their own issues and ability and inability to unconditionally love themselves. So how could they possibly be able to unconditionally love us or anybody else? And this is like the core dynamic underlying all of this stuff, underlying what the Hoffman process work is, and all the work that we've been doing, right? Everything Mm -hmm. that, that we most deeply desire, everything that we're seeking from others, from the world the glittery things that we think we want. They're all there as reflections for what it is that we most deeply want, but just don't know what it really is. Don't know how to recognize it or or see through all those layers of Madison Avenue advertising that, that tricks us into thinking that they have the answers. Right. What's missing inside of ourselves.
1: Right, again. We are, you and I, are like-minded others, and we are most complementary in terms of our aesthetic and understanding on this subject at hand. So, yes, let's let's segue to Hoffman, which, as you mentioned, you went through it. It was the Fisher-Hoffman, and now it is singularly the Hoffman process. And it's fascinating because day two of the Hoffman process, when I went in 2015 as a student, day two, I knew this is the work I will do. I mean, that's just how it works for me. Spirit will say, boom, and I listen and I said, okay. And I remember telling my teacher, I have to do this work. And she was like, well, we still have five days. Let's just get through this five days. And we got through that five days. And I got to say to you, one of the things that was unprecedented, none of the losses I had had in my life had ever been acknowledged by another adult, by a community. I don't have a lot of friends, and especially friends that have been with me from the beginning who have that capacity to hold all that I have experienced. That's a big task. So it's fascinating that by the time I got to Hoffman to experience what I experienced, to witness what I bore witness to for myself and others. I had never grieved in one place so hard, so loud. I thought they were gonna ask me to leave because there's a part of it, as you know, that's about burying, if you will, our parents. And the loss and the death and the rejection that I had walked around with to lay that down, to lay that burden down was, I was just, I thought I want every BIPOC human being, I want every human being who is carrying around the onus of loss, disenfranchisement, humiliation, all of it, to have an experience, an experiential experience such as that and to exonerate themselves, right? Because that's what it was. It was a self-anointing. It was a self-exoneration of saying, I'm willing to lay my burden down. I'm willing to give this up. That thing right there, that was the beginning of me stepping into my own permission in a cognitive way. I believe I stepped into my permission when I was a young girl, and I would say no to people who wanted to beat me with extension cords and Hot Wheel tracks and all these outrageous instruments, right? And I call them instruments of ass destruction, right? Because I came from people who said, you know, we're just gonna beat that ass. Right. And so anyway, to be at Hoffman and to give myself permission to grieve, to wail, to let it out and not care, not be self conscious. Yeah, I took up a lot of space, but my grief was big. You know, you don't go through 30 foster home I mean, just lost, lost, lost. That kind of like machine gun law. You know what I mean? And not take a hit that needs some suturing, some TLC, some recognition. So permission granted, again, I liked the catchiness of kick-ass strategies to bootstrap your way. Because for people like me, for people who don't have The benefit of the people who've come before them, mothers, fathers, the people who don't benefit from legacies, who don't benefit from people having expectations of them, who don't benefit. And I mean, all of this in healthy ways, not the toxic stuff. For those of us who have stood on the shoulders of possibility, stood on the shoulders of spirit, stood on the shoulders of imagination, thank you. Albert Einstein for positing that imagination is more powerful than knowledge, those of us who are autodidactic, those of us who are willing to ride shotgun with our spirits, right? Permission granted and the strategies that are held within it, that bootstrapping way of being in this world. That's why I have these strategies is for anybody and all people who are willing and able to put skin in the game, to confront their aloneness, to be with their terror. One of my chapters, one of my strategies, grow through what you go through. I literally, over a six-week period, allow myself to give birth to a compatibility, a sense of understanding and a being with of a terror that I imagine must have happened pre-verbal and so my book as you say is an incantation it's a magical carpet ride through a different way to look at how for those of us who again don't have that privilege and don't have those opportunities, it's an opportunity to create your own. And I think that's what this comes down to. If you were to ask me, sum this thing up, where there was no opportunity, I've listened and been willing to find that opportunity to create the opportunity outside the so-called legitimized route of opportunities. So I go to school, I learn, I get all educated up. But then when I go to get the job, I learn I'm not going to get that job because I'm overqualified, I'm quote unquote too big, I'm black and I'm a woman, but yet you took my $100,000 to educate me. But now I'm $100,000 in debt from a degree that I can't use to get employment. So yeah. (laughs) I can get out there. I gotta I gotta get out there and then bring myself back. but I, I get very passionate about this Tonio and
0: yeah. Yeah, I hear that. Again, being a white male, I have been very fortunate not to have those doors slammed in my face but prior to to all of that, I I had long since rejected our quote unquote, American dream of aspiring to, you know, being a quote-unquote success in the world and all of that stuff that, to me, is a completely bankrupt model of a life. So that never had any meaning for me. But yeah, I get we have to learn the language of the culture that we live in, even if it's not our own language. And actually, isn't that what we learn as children when we come into this world we learn a language that is not natural to us and we learn to behave you know even as privileged white children we are still forced to learn a language and a culture that is not natural to us well yeah not natural
1: and to be promised these promises to say, like, let's face it, until last summer, talk about, you know, how we are mediated to as human beings and who has the privileged point of view, the privileged perspective, the privileged narrative, the privileged images. Until last summer, we were all forced in a way to move along this idea that Going back to my example of a hundred thousand dollar education, it's okay for us to invest in an educational system that only worked for certain people. This idea of systemic oppression. So, I'm going to give you this money, I'm going to get that education just like that other person. But we all know I will not have equal access. And we all know that my white counterpart, their, bear, theirness will be privileged over mine. And so now what? And so now it's really interesting when I turn on the TV when I rarely watch it and all of a sudden advertisers have these like, what are these like stock black photos that they've had all along and they could just, you know, need black image insert or did they call up all the casting agents all over the US and say, we need to get some black folks and some Latino folks and some Asian folks a photograph so that we can insert into this system. I mean, there's deliberate meanness. There's deliberate erasure. There's deliberate disenfranchisement. It's deliberate.
0: Right. And And now they're totally commodifying. Right. And then there's the next
1: level. The only way to be seen of value is to be Commodified, and, and, you know, I will say this, you know, as a writer and coach and speaker, I am part of commodifying my brand. Right. You know, taking what I believe in, taking what I live from and putting that hopefully at the center of the world stage as a way of offering another perspective. Right. So I think for the mere fact of commodification to move forward, someone else's agenda to be that dominant agenda, to dominate, to eviscerate, to erase. That's one thing to commodify as a way to scale for a potentially healing perspective. I think that's something different,
0: you know. Mm-hmm. And another thing that I subscribe to, which you do as well, is this notion of taking 100% responsibility for our own part in everything, everything that we experience and everything we see around us. Not that we are the cause of these things, but that just taking responsibility for the fact that we exist in this world. And from doing that, we then have that opportunity to give ourselves permission to then move in a direction that's in alignment with who and what we most essentially are. And I think back to that kick-ass part of all of this. And originally I was thinking, I wanted to ask you what you mean by that because kick-ass is one of those terms that we throw around and we use in different ways. But then it occurred to me, it's spirit. Mm. That's that's continually kicking our ass. Mm. You know, no matter what we go through, no matter what happens to us, spirit will use anything and everything at its disposal to kick our ass into hopefully eventually moving in the direction that is in the deepest alignment with who we truly are. And mm. As you as you said, that's the spirit that lives inside of all of us. I love
1: that. I love that you have elevated kick-ass to that level. Although kick-ass registers as an adjective, I see it as a verb, right? I see it as this idea of being impressive. Like sometimes we say you got to go hard. You got to be strong. Sometimes kick-ass invites us to be forceful and powerful. And then if we want to take it down a notch, it invites us to be rough and aggressive and successful. It all depends on how we want to view it and the language in which we use to unpack it, right? And so my intention, like, I want to be remembered And I want to fold in what you just said about spirit. I want to be remembered as a soul that could withstand the presence of spirit and what spirit required. You know, this idea that it is possible to be exceptionally good at something. It is possible to be spectacular in the name of healing and owning one's sovereign being, right? And at times, I know for me, I've had to go big. I've had to go big or not get up. You know, it sometimes takes these big overtures to get ourselves out of that funk, out of that weight of darkness. And when you don't have family, who can call you up and say, come on, girl, get up. (laughs) You don't have folks that come check on you to make sure you're good and to keep you, you know, I've had to be big. That's what spirit has done. It has come and kicked my ass up. Get up, get up, girl. You know, as there's this song, these two beautiful women call Mary, Mary. In every interview I have, Tonio, I find a way to get a song in because secretly I wanted to be a singer, but foster Care was not going to have that. So I let them have that. They won on that one. But I'm going to take this opportunity to sing this little bit of a song that made a difference in my life and still does. And it's by Mary Mary. And it's called I just can't give up now i come too far from where I started from. Uh, nobody told me the road would be easy. And I don't believe he brought me this far. Believe me. That's what's up. Like, I was not brought this far just be dropped and left you know but sometimes spirit comes and says you got to get up you come too far from where you started from nobody told you it would be easy but do not believe that spirit brought you this far to leave you
0: right you helped clarify what i was what was coming to me that it's not just that spirit kicks our ass but spirit teaches us to kick ass you better say it. <laughs> <laughs> you better say it like you mean it. So there's another thing that I want to ask you about. In your book, you talk about how you bring your dreams and ideas and desires to bed with you to incubate mm. them. And mm-hmm. this is something that I've instinctively done throughout my life without even thinking about it. It's just been mm-hmm. natural to me. Mm-hmm. Could you talk about your experience of doing that and Where that came from and what that means to you. Mm -hmm. Where that came from, I think it was factory installed. So let's
1: start there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was factory installed. And so we both then know where that came from. So for me, you know, it's interesting. I had an interview with Elizabeth Greenwood for the San Francisco Chronicle about a month ago. And As we were closing the interview down, she said, I am going to work on a book about trauma and genius and how trauma opens the gateway for an alternate way of being. And she said, because I think that's what happened for you. And so in a little bit of a way, I was like sad because anytime somebody attributes My way of showing up in the world as, you know, contextualizing it in a pejorative way, I get very sad. So when I think about that and how that relates to my dream state, because they're inextricably linked. This idea of my dreams being the gateway, and I use this term loosely for genius, spirit is genius, to show up. That's what it is, you know? And the way it works for me, I'll I'll try and give a short example. I worked with Vidal Sassoon, the world's preeminent hair care cutting system. And before I went and committed to the internship, I would watch videos they had. And sometimes I would just look at the haircut itself I'd watch the video, and just so that we're clear, it takes about six weeks to perfect, if not longer, to perfect one Vidal Sassoon haircut. But I could look at the haircut, take the haircut, turn it 360 on a doll head or stare at the photo before I actually knew they had videos. And then I would go purchase a doll head And I'd see the doll head and sort of touch it and get the shape of the doll's head because that has everything to do with how that haircut will come out. And then I would take the feeling of the doll head and the image of the haircut into my dream. And then what would happen in the dream, it would be like I was in a classroom and I could see the three dimensions of the hair and of the head shape of the doll. And I would spend the night pretty much walking through the angles of my fingers before I understood graduation, elevation, over direction, because those are the things that create that rounded shape that hugs a haircut to the back of the occipital lobe, which is the round in the head. And before I knew what that was, I was doing it, right? So before I knew it in the the terminology for it in the world of haircutting, 45 degree, elevate, over the breath So when I showed up and I would do this, just see what they were doing and then buy a doll head, whatever I could afford, and then take it into a drink. By the time some of my friends said, it's time that you go to Sassoon and it is time that you go through the training. So I went to Sassoon and I had to present, Because my friends had said, you have to see her. Like, you have to see this woman. So this big thing had been created, right? This sort of a groundswell. So I go there and they're like, we'd like to see 10 models. I'm like, what? They're like, show us 10 models. So just so happened I had dreamt of 10 haircuts. So I found 10 live models and I put those 10 haircuts on those 10 live models. And they normally didn't do what they had asked me to do. It was a new thing. And I was hired, and it's a 24 month program. I literally was done in three months, but we pushed it to six just so we could function in some realm of normalcy and it wouldn't be too much of an upset for those people who were still 18 to 24 months out. I attribute My capacity to get out of the way and allow my factory installed settings to come alive and believe, to believe. See, with believe, we don't have to prove it. We have to trust it. So I would say in my feeble attempt to normalize or explain those factory installed settings that I moved out of the way and allowed truth, allowed spirit. I just trusted. I trusted that I knew. I trusted that I could. I trusted that I had a capacity. I trusted and I've gone on to win some of the biggest hair competitions in the United States. and. This book came about in a similar way. I just took the ideas to bed and pretty much every single chapter, you know, the love formations, the compose your own permission strategy, every idea, everything, every offering in this book. I literally put the book, put the strategies up, I mounted them as though they were independent workshops because that's what my editor said. She said, you need to get me a book where each chapter is an independent workshop in and of itself. And so I had to grapple with that. Like, what does that mean? And I thought about all the workshops I've gone to through and blah, 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 blah. You could say that that was my experience, all of the workshops I've gone to, and how would I have done them differently? You know, how would that work? And so that's how that ability to take my dreams to bed. This book was a dream for me.
0: That was beautiful. And I love your language of, you know, we come with spirit fully installed. <laughs> yeah. Factory installed. Factory that, installed. That's the way we come. That's who and what we are. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I feel that that is right. That's really profound.
0: Mm-hmm. And one of your workshops, one of your kick-ass strategies is all about allowing our spirit to triumph, to fully manifest in our lives and through our lives. Yes. Yes. So that then we
1: don't need to be the unwitting victims of a lesser truth about who and what we are, a lesser belief about who and what we are. Because if we align with the truth of who we are, that is what triumph of the spirit is, right? Triumph yep. of the spirit is believing in the fullness of who we actually are. And in that, believing in and of itself will triumph over any lesser belief. So my life, and I'm sure there's a lot of people who, again, Victor Frankel, Nelson Mandela, you know, Eli Wiesel. these are people whose lives, whose beliefs triumphed over any lesser beliefs, any lesser truths. And so they stepped into consciousness that's above the frame. A consciousness. I, I am grateful that I tend to move through the world fairly easily. You know, I want to be careful and knock on some wood. You know, I rarely experience insomnia, but if I drink too much coffee or if I get too excited about an idea, I will sort of wind myself up into a space where sleep may not find me. And as I say that, I recognize that I'm not looking for it to find me. So the other night, while I wasn't looking for sleep to find me, I did a practice that I talk about in the book, and that's the love of compassion. And in that, I invite the person who's engaging in that practice to, to land right where you are and then to listen. So first we land, and then we listen. And as we land and we listen, we lean in to the moment, to this thing called ourselves. And in so doing, we open. And as we open, we observe So we land, we listen, we lean in, we open, we observe the nature of our own vulnerability. And when we land and listen and lean in and open and observe to the nature of our own vulnerability, we then invite empathy. And then in so doing this, landing, listening, leaning in, opening, observing to our own vulnerability and and to give ourselves that empathy. That in and of itself is an act of compassion because all of those invitations situate us in calm. And compassion is this idea of having the desire to alleviate one's own suffering, one's own pain. So if we were to follow the steps that I just offer, That, to me, is love. That, to me, is compassion in action. So I call that the love of compassion, and that's what I led myself through the other evening. And as I was opening to my own empathy, what I experienced next was the word believe showed up. The word believe just showed up right there, right where I was. And... It wasn't just the word. It was the flesh. It was the bone, that place where spirit meets bone. So what showed up was that place where belief met bone, right? And I felt truth in that moment. I felt sure I accepted the power of belief and what it is. And I reveled in it. It was just something amazing. It was like taking an Ativan. Once when I went to the doctor, they said I had general anxiety disorder and they gave me Ativan. It took them six hours to get me to take one because I'm not a pill popper. But I tell you, the euphoria that came from that Ativan, I thought I will never take that again. Because if feeling that way is what that pill promises, and I need to find another way to get to that. And that's what believe. Did for me that night. It took me to that place where Adevan takes me. And it was light and there was freedom. And I felt the certainty of the word believe. And I say that because then I understood what it meant to believe. It means that there's no proof, it means trust it. So since Thursday of last week, I have situated my thoughts. And so from that moment, I have stepped into my days, my moments, and being in consciousness. When I lose consciousness and go unconscious, I believe is my touchstone to trust. So to not think about, oh, that's never going to happen or this or that. It's like trust that it's already happening. Trust. So use the power of belief and the truth of what it is and the certainty of what it is and to accept that. So
0: And of course, you mean belief in ourself in Absolutely. the deepest, deepest sort of way. And and the image I had was the power of a dandelion to break through concrete.
1: Mm. You better go. <laughs>
0: I mean, that's what comes factory-installed in all of us. Right. That's incredible power. It's beyond, beyond. And what would
1: happen, Tonio, if we led our lives just from that place? Mm -hmm. If we led our lives from what is already true inside of us? I mean, truthfully, we align our beliefs with all sorts of systems and ideas and postulations that are tried and true for us. Right? But what if the same thing inside of us that inclines us to believe other people's narrative, what if instead we were to believe our own, to construct our own, to align with what's true inside of us? Because there is something true inside of us, and there is something in us willing to believe something. What if Instead of extending that out to believe we're less than, to believe we're bad, to believe we're not good, to believe we're unworthy, what if that thing that moves out of us towards someone else, towards that toxicity, what if instead of moving out of ourselves towards all of those lies that do not serve us, that will not serve us, what if instead we reverse? trajectory and move towards the goodness that is in us, that is us? What if we move towards the goodness that is us? What if? And then just act as if, because see, that's what has saved my life. When people would tell me I wasn't this, 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 my insights would go, that's not true. That's not true. And then I would shut down, and go into what was true, and then stay with that. And then that allowed me to take 100% responsibility of who I am. So I show up, the best of my ability, for what is true in me. I am an alumni of California Institute of Integral Studies, and one day I had the opportunity to do an expression for some of the cohorts And at the end, one of the teachers came up and said, you can't help but tell the truth, can you? And I thought about that. I'm like, no, I don't always tell. But anyway, that's not what you're asking me. So it's how do we just stay true to who we are, no matter what, right? No matter what. How do we stay true to that? How does my son, who has Scottish-Irish blood in him, he decides to go to school and do a river dance interpretation on behalf of the ancestors, he will never know. And no matter what I did to say, hmm, babe, you sure that's the way to go? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, hmm, how do you think that's going to go over? He's like, well, if they don't get it, that's not my problem. I'm like, ooh, certain genes are definitely inherited, right? And off he goes to Riverdance, in front of all of his classmates, and he just so happened to have had his DNA gathered, you know, unlike so many of his other classmates at that time. you know, and and then those of us who are products of the African diaspora, you know, we just didn't know, and we don't many of us still don't know who and what we are. So anyway, it's that natural inclination to follow what's true for us. He he has that. And we end up being those outliers. We end up being those people, you know, who are walking to the beat of family drum. We know how to beat. And that's the beat that permissions our thrivival. See, I don't like the word survival. And I'm learning to understand what it is to thrive. So I created a new word, thrivival. <laughs> It's the, the simultaneous nature of surviving and thriving. Surviving and thriving.
0: Revival. I'm totally there with you. So, how do you relate to the inevitable heartbreak of seeing so many people who don't seem to be finding their way to that experience of at least inner thriving? Mm. Yeah. And who don't feel that connection to their spirit and their power, and therefore are not able to believe in themselves.
1: Well, I am able to relate, and I I believe that's what permission granted is about. Is wherever you are on this continuum of getting through life, albeit surviving survival, there is a place where you can step over that threshold from the perseveration of your trauma, the just continuous repetition of the traumas that continue to happen, even though the instigator of that trauma isn't happening. So I believe that this is an opportunity to, at the very minimum, anyone who reads permission granted kick-ass strategies to bootstrap your way to unconditional self-love. Anyone who reads that, you know, one of the things that I do as a Hoffman teacher is I support individuals from billionaires to dog walkers. There really isn't a difference to give themselves a rite of passage, to individuate from ways of being that no longer serve them. Sure, it served them when they were young. They needed to stay safe within the pack, within the family system. But those ways are outdated, outmoded, and oftentimes keep people moored in reactions that are identical to what they were when they were eight, nine, 10, 11, and 12. So, how do we borrow a page from brilliant rites of passages from people who have been at it for a very, very, very long time and afford ourselves that right of moving from? that little girl or boy, and say, now it's time. I am able now to take responsibility 100% for how I show up. Because all I know is how to do that. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. And trust me, there are areas in my life that I have zero mastery in. I won't get into it now, because I've been so busy holding the emotional, intellectual part of it. So there are people who have that opportunity, if they so desire, to maybe what my book is offering is a fresh, a refreshing take on how to live our best lives, how to get connected, and the value of it. Because it's about what we value. If one does not value self-love, which I think is a little suspect, unless we do The research and put in the time to understand what that means to us. Because personally, I don't want to love myself the way I was loved. Let's be very clear. And if we're talking self love, where, from whom, and from where, and from what do we glean the jewels of what that really looks like? Because as you said earlier, in reference to Hoffman and how that's about getting people to love themselves, what does that really mean? And from whom do we take direction? From whose books do we take pages of what that looks like? Because my understanding of unconditional self love is children are probably as close, children and dogs are as close as it will ever come to unconditional self love. Children don't have a storehouse of betrayals and indiscretions and hurts that they know to make parents responsible for it. They don't know to do that. So they take it on themselves. That's why I have the work I have is because I am working with adults, children who took on the onus and took on 100% of the responsibility of emotionally, you know, annihilating themselves in order to fit in and to be with and belong to that family system, that community, that whatever you want to call it. And then if I take this back to the works of the King James Bible, it is only as children shall one enter the kingdom of heaven. So then my question is, well, perhaps this idea of unconditional self-love is actually this invitation to enter into the kingdom of heaven again as a child. And from that place, Love ourselves without contingencies. So I'm going to love my flat nose and my flat feet. Yep, that's me. Yep, I'm going to love it. And on and on and on and on. Like, I'm not going to try. Like, what was so brilliant this morning is I read this little thing about Simone Biles, the U.S. Olympian, and her saying, I'm checking out uh, the team performances. The courage that it takes to do that, the sense of self that it takes to do that, accepting where she is, listening to her inner knowing. Oh my God, that is an invitation for all of us. So I believe it's important to listen to the invitations, to make considerations, and perhaps give ourselves permission to connect to the inner emotional self and understand that from that place one can love unconditionally because I don't need to have those limitations and the impediments on myself. I can just be who I am and who I am is this incredible child of God, of spirit, of life, of the universe, of the celestial heavens. And if I open my ear to what they have to say, what if I did that? There are no promises, but what if we just gave ourselves, like Simone, if we just said, no, I'm not going to succumb to the pressure. I'm going to back out of this. What if, in our plight to fit into whatever it is we're trying to fit into, we just said, eh, I'm going to take a break from that today. And I'm going to listen Inside of myself, let me tune my radio to that and see what that's saying. Let me get conscious to that. What is it that I believe? What is it that I need? No proof of, but I just trust. So it's an invitation. And I am in the process of curating offerings for people to follow along if they want, become curious, come along the journey if they want. If they want to get a hold of me, I love Instagram. Follow me at the real at the real Regina Louise. And that's at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-G-I-N-A-L-O-U-I-S-C. Follow me at the real Regina Louise or I am having my website updated. And you can subscribe to dot louise.com. And I will have offerings and you can go there and it's all in the process of being updated. So bear with me. And of course, on Facebook. And I have a new package of writing and journaling implements that I am launching in a couple of weeks. And those will be up hopefully on my e-commerce on Facebook once I figure out how to do that, but definitely on my website. So yeah, this has been so delicious and we have been having a great time. Mm,
0: yeah. It's been wonderful connecting with you. Your
1: countenance, your vibrations, <laughs> is so on point with my own. So thank you. I am Very, very
0: grateful. It's been my pleasure. And thank you for bringing your full presence here. Mm, Thank you for
1: the opportunity for me (laughs) to not have to play small, but just to be all of my quirky, you know, unconventional counterculture, all of it, allowing me to be all the things that I've needed to be in order to engage in (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: survival.
1: So thank you so much, my friend.
0: Mm, I love your spirit and thank you so much. And may permission be with you. Oh, my God. Oh, my (laughs) God. There it is. May
1: permission be with you. Okay. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. That was Regina Louise. She's a public speaker, coach, and author. Her best-selling memoirs, Somebody, Someone, and Somebody Has Led This Child to Believe, were made into the award-winning movie, I Am Somebody's Child, the Regina Louise story. Regina is also a Hoffman Process teacher and facilitator, and her new book is Permission Granted, Kick-Ass Strategies to Bootstrap Your Way to Unconditional Self-Love. That's it for this Magical Mystery Tour. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, take good care of yourselves and each other.